Well, good morning, Mosaic. How you doing today? Uh, you may be thinking, uh, uh, my name's Dave, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and so uh, you may be thinking, we've seen a lot of your mug lately, Dave. Um, where's Renault? And uh, I want to assure you, he will be back, barring any unforeseen circumstances next week. But I, I want to assure you that uh, I'm the first in line for him to return. Uh, because... Uh, <laughs> It's a whole lot easier to sit where you guys are and to be inspired through the word than to put together a message. And so, uh, come Renault, come quickly. And so, uh, this, this would be great. Uh, so, we are in a great space today as a church as we've come out of all things Easter. And all that was transpiring with Easter, with the arrival of Jesus into the city, and then uh, contemplating what he did during that week, and then going into that space where Good Friday happened and and processing through the gratitude that we have for Jesus in that space where he took care of uh, so much for us on that Friday, and then Easter and encountering that and coming to that space and going, uh, yes, I was reminded of, of the resurrection. And so uh, if we put ourselves in that place as we launch into uh, back into the, the study of Romans, that's a great place to remind ourselves because the early followers were in that space, coming out of that environment where there was a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, a lot of doubt, a lot of question marks, and then Jesus returns and begins instructing them and walking them through what it looks like to, to be on mission. And so he gets them ready and says, all right, guys, uh, over, these, uh, over these last few weeks, we've talked about these things, and then I'm going to be with the Father. And when I leave, I want you to stay put until the Holy Spirit shows up. And then when the Holy Spirit shows up, that's when I want you to fan out and to go into all the world and begin telling people who I am and what I have done. And, and that's exactly what happens. So they wait in that space. The Holy Spirit shows up, and then they fan out all over the known world. And when they fan out all over the known world, what begins to happen is churches are popping up in places where there was no gospel influence whatsoever. And so all of these churches begin showing up because the disciples went out, the early followers went out, and they began to talk about who Jesus was and all that he had done. And then people by faith began to follow Jesus. And so these churches are showing up in cities where uh, you never would have uh, ex expected the church to show up. One of those cities was the city of Rome. And so the, the city of Rome begins to have this church show up in the midst of a place that no one ever would have thought. Like this is a place where uh, there's a, a lot uh, going on, but very little of it is uh, centered on anything that is good, right, or pure. And so the church begins to show up there in this space. And what happens is you have Jewish people that were there. And, and they become part of the church because they had all of the Old Testament. They knew the God of the Old Testament, heard about Jesus through faith in Jesus. Now they see how all the law and the prophets fit together. And they're like, oh, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. And so they are excited about their faith and, and, and growing in their faith. But you also have mashed into this environment the Gentiles, the non-Jews, these guys had, had come from all kinds of ideologies and philosophies and, and, and all kinds of uh, religious activity that had nothing to do with the God of the Old Testament. So they're coming into this space, and, and they too have, by faith, entered into a relationship with Jesus. And so you have these Jewish guys and these Gentile guys mashed together in this small space, trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. But then something happens. 
there's some persecution and the Jews had to leave. They're, they're, they're cut out of Rome and said, you need to go. So now when they, they had been uh, in this space where they were growing and changing and, and becoming more like Christ, and certainly the Jewish people had this history, this rich history of the law and the prophets, and had probably been instructing the Gentile people. Like, here's, here's how this all flowed. And then now that we have the complete picture with Jesus, look how amazing this is. But now they're gone. So the, the Gentiles have to roll with everything. They're the ones who are like, okay, this is what we, we know to be true. Let's keep walking forward in this and keep doing what God has asked us to do. And so they continue to be the church. And about a decade later, the Jewish people are welcomed back in. They can come back to the city. And imagine how crazy that would be. Because for a decade, the Gentiles have been leading. And then here come the leaders again. How's that going to flow? Right? I mean, this would be a very, very awkward situation. And so what happens is there's kind of this tension, this this, uh, misunderstanding, if you will, of how this is all going to work. Because the Jewish people are like, well, I I think we're supposed to lead because we know a lot of things about uh, God and how this all flows. And then the Gentiles are like, yeah, but we've been doing this for a decade. And so there's a little bit of division, a little bit of disunity. How do you determine who's going to lead and who's not? Right? It's kind of this uh, back and forth. You know, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. of Jesus, you know, well, so do we, you know, and so it's kind of back and forth, and it's like, well, who's louder? We're louder, you know, and it's back and forth trying to figure out, and it's into this space that Paul writes the book of Romans, and he says, I want you guys to know the gospel. I want you to know how to rightly apply it to every situation in life, and so this is where they're at, and so this division, this challenge, he begins to speak into that, and, and to just really quickly go over where we have been up to this point, uh, if you have not been with us, you can go back to the podcast, and you can, you can go ahead and watch all of those. They're awesome. So much stuff. I'm going to give you like a 80,000 kind of foot view of where we've been. Chapter 1, we had talked about how uh, God had extreme wrath for sin, uh, that, that, that sin must be paid for. And then we, uh, we switched gears there and we went into chapters 2 and 3, where Paul begins to write to these, these people, the Jewish people and the Gentile people, here's how this flows. And he does an amazing job by pointing out to the Gentiles first. He's like, hey guys, I need you to know, you did not have the law. And as a result of not having the law, you're doomed. And then the Jewish guys are like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, that's totally right. Like, thank you, Paul, because now we can go ahead and assume our rightful leadership in this place like it's supposed to be. But then Paul switches gears and he goes, oh, and, and, and by the way, Jewish people in, in the room, as this letter is being read, right after the Gentiles hearing that they didn't have the law and they're doomed, Paul then goes and says to the Jewish people, well, you had the law. It exposed your inability to live up to the law, and so you're doomed. And so they're just like, what? This is not how it's supposed to work. And the Gentiles are like, I told you. You know, we have way more passion. Like, this is our gig. And I love what Paul does in this space. He levels the playing field, and he basically does this, which has been so helpful for me in my walk with Christ, is there's Jesus to be exalted and worshipped and held high and, and, and esteemed. And then there's everybody else. That's how it works. There's Jesus high and exalted and everybody else. We all put our, our pants on one leg at a time. None of us have any special standing before God. 
Because we're, we're just human beings, right? And so Paul brings that out. And he says, this is how it's supposed to be. And then he, he throws in another shift in the gears. And then he says, by the way, guys, salvation. And, and he switches gears right in the middle of chapter 3. And he's like, by the way, salvation. You may feel doomed. Yes, and that is indeed true. Both the Jews and the Gentiles. But salvation is by faith in Christ alone. There is an answer. There is good news to be had. It's not the end of the road for you. There is good stuff going on and his finished work. And you begin to see what Paul has done so beautifully through the power of the Holy Spirit is laying this amazing foundation of truth that is so solid that now here where we catch up to uh, him in chapter 5 here today, you begin to see him building on that foundation that is so amazing and so good and so challenging. So it's no longer wondering and wandering through life, wondering how things are going to shake out. Paul gives us some amazing truth in Romans 5. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 5 or go there on your smart device. If you're using one of Mosaic's Bibles, it's on page 1043, page 1043. And look at this amazing a room on the foundation that Paul has now started to, to build and, and, and instructs us so that we may know and walk with and experience Jesus. Check this out. It's amazing. Therefore, let's stop. All right. <laughs> okay. Therefore, we, we've heard this over and over. If you've been around Mosaic long enough, you know, we, we come back to Scripture, and we, anytime we see that word, therefore, it's there for a reason, and the reason it's there is to tie back what we have heard leading up to that. So Paul's saying, all of this stuff that you've heard about, uh, about wrath towards sin, that we're doomed, and that salvation is by grace alone, all of the stuff that I brought forth this, thus far, therefore, in light of all of that, therefore, let me tell you what's coming next. So he's, he's, he's bridging what has happened and where we're going. And he says, therefore... Since we have been justified, if you're a note taker, a circler of your Bible words, circle that one. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified is a game-changing word for us. Justified is, is indicating to us that we are spotless. We are blameless. When God looks at you and he looks at me by faith in Christ, if that is where we stand today, that he looks on us through faith, he says to us, you, you are no longer accountable for sin. You are pure in my sight. You are blameless. There is no sin held against you because what Christ accomplished on the cross on our behalf through faith in him, the, the debt has been paid in full, full. Like we don't have to work for it. We're justified. I've heard it said that it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's a way to remember that. It's clear. The slate is clean through Christ. That's what we have because he says that so clearly right here. Justified by faith. And now we have peace with God. That's amazing. That's game-changing, life-changing information. But he doesn't stop there. Check out verse 2. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access. 
Underline that. I'm going to come back to that in just a sec. By faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That word access. Every once in a while, as you're studying a passage, there are things that just jump out of the page and change the trajectory of your life. This is one of those words for me. And I just want to invite you into this space of something that I learned this week that just revolutionized my walk with God. I mean, I have been sitting on this since I've had the chance to study these verses. And it is, it is shaping the way that I interact with God. This word access, it means to, in the original language, means to usher into the presence of royalty. To usher into the presence of royalty. Now, let's play this one out and see what this means. Because here we have, through faith in Christ, we have Jesus standing at the door as our faithful God, Savior, and servant leader that he is. Opening the door for us into the very throne room of our Heavenly Father. We have access to that. He opens us up and we have VIP access to God. Now, I don't know about how you view your life and where you stand with God, but there are so many times in my life where I feel like I barely made it in. And I should be in the back corner sitting there because I know what's going on in my life. And it's like, I'm just content to worship from afar. I'm just glad I made it in the room. But look what's going on here. We have access through faith in him. God's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you dare worship from afar. Because that's not what I have for you. As a faith follower of mine through Christ, I'm inviting you in. And then Jesus, being the great servant leader, opens the door. And he's like, come on in. Come on in and come close. That God welcomes us in. Now, as exciting as that is, right? You're like, that's crazy. How does something like that happen? As exciting as that is, if you're like me, that can also be kind of a scary, stressful space. Right? It's like, okay, if I get in close proximity to God, then he'll know. He'll know. And I don't need to be there. And see, here's what I know to be true about me. I know every deep, dark crevice of my soul. I know what's going on inside me. I know what I've done. I know what I've said. And I can fool all of you guys, every one of you, and, and make it look like, you know, I'm Jesus Jr. up here. Like, man, he's got it going on. He brought his A game. You know, I, I can do that. But here's the deal. Here's what's so scary. I know what's going on. And not only what I have done or thought or said, but I know what I'm capable of. And I'm not alone in that. So does my Heavenly Father. So does him. So does he. And so to enter into that space, that's a scary space. That's a stressful space because that, that's the space. Like, why would I want to go into that room? Because there might be some anger towards my sin. There might be some hostility. There might be some vengeance. There might be some, you know, some, something that isn't going to flow so well for me in that space. Because that's how I think of my sin. But yet, we've learned back into verse 1, we've been justified We've been justified, and it's so hard to grab hold of that because it's scandalous. You can't even imagine that you would totally forgive 
totally wiped clean and that we get access to that space. And so it's not a stressful space. It's not a worrisome place. It's actually a space where we can go in with confidence and stand before God and he welcomes us in as blameless and pure and accepted. We have grace and mercy and love and peace in that space. That's what we get. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but when I think of that, to have that kind of relationship, that kind of proximity to God, I mean, I know these things, but I don't know them, and I don't always embrace them. And so I pray that that hits you in an amazing way because that's huge because he says we stand in this place and we have this decision that we can either accept what he does for us on our behalf, that we have been given freedom and life and, and peace with God through, through faith in Christ, or we can just try to figure it out on our own and think that we're going to muscle our way through it and things will shake out okay, and it doesn't. We have a decision that we make. We, we, we can place our faith in Christ and experience peace and experience that access to God and understand that there's more to this crazy life. Because what is he right there? He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have hope that leads to hope. We have hope now and there's more. Because check this out. Then look at where he goes next. Verse 3. Not only that. In other words, man, you have, you have been justified you, through faith in Christ. You have access to him. You have hope. Not only that, it's like, but wait, there's more, right? You ready? But we rejoice in our sufferings. You know, it's like, what? You know, that's not good news. You know, I, I, that doesn't sound good at all. Access, awesome. Justified, awesome. Hope, awesome. Suffering, no. I don't want that. Anything but that. Right? And, and so, uh, as I was thinking about that, it, it just reminded me of, of about 25 years ago, stepping into ministry. And what that was going to look like. And it was an exciting time as I was doing that. I remember thinking about the opportunities that would be afforded to me by stepping into ministry. I, I knew there would be spaces like I'm doing this morning to be able to talk to people about the, the wonders of Christ and what scripture says. And that some people would get it and go live on mission for God. I knew that there would be opportunities to build teams and, and people would get in on the game. And, and that would be life changing for them. I knew that that was going to happen. I, I knew that people would go on mission trips. I, I knew there would be all kinds of opportunities to see life change. But there was something in ministry over all these years as I look back. There's something going on in ministry that no one or nothing prepared me for. That I would walk into time after time after time. I didn't have a seminary class on it. Uh, no pastor that's ahead of me in the game ever sat down with me and said, hey, here's something that you're going you're gonna to run into. You need to uh, understand this, and here's how to walk through uh, with people. Uh, there, wasn't a, uh, there wasn't a book on it that I could read, and they're certainly not covering this at pastor's conferences. No one or nothing prepared me for walking with people as they were going through suffering. As they were going through the dark nights of the soul. I, I never had anybody share with me or anything or anything that I could learn from. And, and here I am, a, a young guy stepping into ministry. And I'm the pastor. I'm the pro. I'm supposed to know what to say and I'm supposed to know what to do. And I remember back uh, many years ago, this was the late 90s. 
I'm a youth pastor uh, building a student ministry in a growing church, exciting times. I'm learning lots of things. It was, it was fun. Lots of great things were going on. One day I'm sitting in my office and I get a call and on the other end of the line is a family who had kind of come to church sporadically, but the son uh, of that family, he had been coming to the student ministries for quite a while and he was very consistent. And, and he was growing and changing to become more like Christ. And so I, I get this call from this family. Um, they, they let me know that uh, their partners in business, they were custom home builders. They're, they're partners in business who did not go to our church or any church for that matter, had the day before experienced this horrible, uh, tragic loss as their 21-year-old son had, had died due to a tragic accident. And I'm not going to tell you what that accident is because if I told you, that's all you would think about. It was horrific. And I'm listening to this phone call, and I'm like, why are they calling me? You know, like, do they just want to talk to somebody about it? You know, do they want, uh, do they want just somebody to pray with them? Like, why me? Like, I, I didn't really know the parents that well, but I knew their son. And so then it came out. In a couple days, that family who they were partnered with was going to have a funeral. And they needed somebody to do the funeral. And here I am. A 28-year-old guy. I didn't know, I'd never done a funeral before. Nobody had ever told me like how to walk with people through things. And so I'm just kind of going, well, I don't know how this is going to roll. So I start calling some of my mentors and processing through all kinds of stuff. And then I go meet with the family. I drive out to their house. I pull up. There's this massive house. There are cars everywhere. I go into that house. Uh, there are friends everywhere. And I'm going room to room trying to walk with them through crazy stuff and pointing them back to Jesus continually. Uh, I walked into rooms where there are family members, extended family members, trying to help them process through this extreme loss that they had just gone through. And then I had to walk away from that and go prep for a funeral. Now, as I was prepping for that funeral, again, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to bring some level of understanding here. I go to prep for that funeral. Now, a typical funeral is like, you know, like 50, 75, maybe 100 people, right? Not a huge thing. I show up at this funeral. There's like 800 people you know, I, I, these, these were custom home builders. And so they had built, uh, these weren't just 800, at, like leaders in the community, state community leaders, you know, all these uh, heavy hitters for the town. And I'm standing in this space going, oh no, you know, like, what am I going to do? I thought that I, what I had prepared would be good, but this changes everything. You know what I mean? Because here I am just standing there trying to help them and point them in the direction of Jesus. And what I've tried to do uh, over the years as I've walked with people is I put myself in their shoes, tried to put myself in their story. And what would I like to be reminded of? What would I need to know in that space? What would be helpful for me? And, and uh, I remember sharing some of those things. And, and uh, I wish I could tell you that at that funeral that the suffering that they went through, that they rejoiced in it. I wish I could tell you that story. I wish I could tell you the stories I've walked with people uh, that I, I've buried their children. I, I've walked with people through extreme financial difficulty. I've walked with people through uh, marriages just falling apart due to infidelity. I have walked with people uh, with chronic health issues. And it would be awesome to stand up here and to tell you that in all of these spaces that most of the time people did what Paul said to do here to rejoice in suffering, but they didn't. 
And as I look at my own life, and I think of the things that have happened in my life where there was suffering, I would love to tell you that I rejoiced in suffering, but I didn't. And so I read this, and so Paul's saying, rejoice in suffering in the same sentence. I'm just like, hmm, those aren't supposed to go together. How does this work? How's this supposed to flow? Now, if you were part of the gatherings last week, I, I had launched this out there. Uh, so if you've heard this before, uh, then uh, this will be review for you. But if you weren't part of the gatherings where I preached last week, then this will be new information for you. But I think it's going to be something that we'll all need. I've needed it, and I've walked through many people's lives and, and with them through their life, and they've needed it. And so if you're a note taker, you may want to write this down because this will come into, into play for you. When we are going through struggles or situations in life where we're suffering and we're having a hard time, if we're going to live in a gospel-saturated way, it is going to become essential for us to grab a hold of this. In that place of suffering, we have to make sure that our situation does not influence our theology, but rather our theology influence our situation. Let me repeat that, okay? We have to make sure when we're going through suffering that we do not let our situation, what's going on in life, all the chaos, all the crazy, all the doubt, all the question marks, don't let that situation influence our theology, what we know to be right and true and good about God. But instead, we would take our theology, what we know to be right and true and good about God, and let that influence our situation, that's how it's supposed to work. That's how we are led into life. Because here's what I have found in the midst of suffering. When we're looking through the lens of suffering, there are always two things that are present. God and question marks. They're always there. And we start asking tough questions. And what happens in that space, if we are letting our situation influence our theology and not vice versa, here's what happens. We walk away with a very diminished view of God. And what happens is we start to think that he's either disinterested, he's distant, or he's mad. And that is faulty thinking. And here's how I know that. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer, the hope that we have in Jesus you see, when we look at the truth of the gospel, Jesus left heaven, came here, lived a life that you were supposed to live, died the death that you were supposed to die. That does not sound like a distant God to me. He, when he was here, he walked with people, he served people, he loved people, constantly pointed them to their heavenly father who wanted to be in close proximity. Reminds us even today that the access door is open, we are welcome in. That is not, not a disinterested God. And is he mad? Let's let scripture answer that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does that say? That he made him to be sin. That for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we could have the righteousness of God. He got our sin. We got his righteousness. God poured out the full wrath. Yes, God was mad at sin. And he poured out his wrath on sin on Jesus on the cross. Not on us. Through faith in Jesus, we are restored. We are justified. We have access. We have hope. He's not mad. He's not mad. Don't leave here thinking that. It didn't happen that way. Can you see how it's dangerous to begin to see when your situation influences your theology and not your theology, your, your situation? 
That's where hopelessness and despair is. But when theology influences our situation, hope begins to erupt. Hope begins to change things. Life begins to take root in a dry and weary soul. That's where things begin to change. And that's a great space. If you have your Bible with you, I want to take us to a classic set of verses. Uh, Flip over to the right uh, to uh, James chapter 1. If you have uh, one of Mosaic's Bible, 1113. 1113. Check this out. Look at this amazing reminder that, that James writes to us. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing. See, James is so clear right here. He is so clear right here that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Right? When it's suffering, it's not a matter of if suffering's going to happen, it's a matter of when. And, and so we see that suffering's an equal opportunity offender. Totally everybody gets the same treatment here. And the ESV got it right. It says when you meet trials, you meet them. In other words, you don't even have to go from here and go try to find it thinking, oh, okay, it's supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to produce something in me. I'm going to go down and find some things that will cause me to suffer a little bit so that I'm stretched a bit and I expand my relationship with God. You don't have to go look for it. It's out there and it's going to meet you. It's going to happen. You're going to run right into it. Aren't you excited? Like, oh, well, I can't wait to keep going. Like, this is getting better as you go, Dave. Keep coming. Like, this is awesome. Right? And I love, I love what James writes here. He, he says, count it pure joy. He does not say, act joyously as if we're supposed to sweep it under the rug, thinking that's what we're supposed to do. Like, praise, praise the Lord. I got bad news from the doctor. This, this is awesome. You know, praise the Lord. My bank account is almost dry. It's not acting joyously. What, what he says here is he says, count it Not act it, count it. That's a mathematical term. That for those of us who have faith in Christ, we calculate what's going on in light of what we know to be true about God. We apply that to what the situation is. We let our theology influence our situation. That's exactly what James is saying here. Like count it, calculate what's going on to what you know to be true and right and good about God and let that influence your situation. And I want to be clear in this space because this is a, a hard, uh, hard space to be at. What happens in this space is uh, sometimes we don't think that we can grieve or that we can struggle or that we can ask God questions. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Please do. Just don't put God on trial because that's the situation influencing your theology. Instead, take what you know and what Scripture reveals to be true about our Heavenly Father, what He's revealed through the Gospel, and what Jesus has done to reconnect us, to justify us, and provide that access that leads to hope. Take what you know to be true and let that influence so that you can begin to ask God questions like, okay, God, I trust that you are good. That you know what you're doing. And I don't like this, but what are you doing so that I may follow you more wholeheartedly? So that I can walk with you faithfully. I don't want to miss what you have for me. And I don't want this to continue. This isn't my preferred route, but, but I'm here. 
So help me to take what's going on and, 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 and understand what's going on through the light of Scripture and what you have revealed about yourself to me already. Let's let that be the space that we live in. It's okay to go and ask God questions because it's okay to wonder, like, what is he doing? So what is he doing? What is going on? Let's go back to Romans chapter 5. He's doing what he always does. He's an awesome God who is constantly restoring. Check this out. Let's keep going. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing, not hoping, not wishing, knowing, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is not a good idea, not a hope, but something that we can bank on. We know this. This is what Paul is saying. We know it. It's not a worldly wishing. It's a, it's a, a fact that you can build your life on. And, and we go through so many steps to avoid hard things, don't we? I mean, we try to insulate our lives so that we don't have to experience hard things. You know, that's why seatbelts were invented. Bike helmets. I don't know where, when you grew up, I didn't wear a seatbelt when I went on the road. I slept on the floorboard. You know, anybody else have that story? Yeah? You're like, you know, a bike helmet? I didn't know what a bike helmet was when I was growing up. You know, I, and I'm not saying you're like, oh, Dave. Yeah, because you ride a bike helmet. You take your kid out on the West Orange Trail without a bike helmet. Oh, you're going to catch it. You know, they're like, oh, he's a child abuser. He doesn't care about his children. You know what I mean? that's what you're going to get, right? But, but it's not, and I'm, please hear me, I'm not saying, let's just be unsafe, you know, like, uh, I'm not saying to go out and try to find hard things, try to find places where you'll struggle. It's going to meet us, as we've uh, so clearly been taught today through James. It's, it's coming. Uh, I'm just saying, we don't, we don't get to bubble wrap our life as if somehow we're going to avoid difficulty, Okay, we cannot bubble wrap our life and avoid difficulty. And even if we could, would that be wise? Because what Paul has launched out here is that we get perseverance that comes from suffering. That's a natural outflow of going through something hard. Anybody in here need perseverance, tenacity, persistence? Are you married? You need it. Or do you have children? You need it. Do you work? You need it. Do you drive in Orlando? You need it. Like, we need it. I mean, this is, a, this is something that is of great value in our life. And not only that, but then once perseverance begins to take shape, what's the next piece that flows out of that? Character. Integrity. I mean, we hold that in great value in our culture. That these are the people that, uh, that we want our children to marry. These are the people that uh, we want our children to become, that we want to become, that we hire into jobs. These are the, the people, the people of character of great value. And then character produces hope. And a hope that does not put us to shame. You see, what Paul has so clearly done here in Romans 5 is that, that uh, suffering is not some obstacle to be avoided, but rather it's something that God uses to bring us to a place where we're better. It betters us. 
And we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in that. Dutch theologian Henry Nouwen wrote this. this. This is awesome. He said, We fail to see that the place of suffering in the broader scheme of things. We fail to see that suffering is an inevitable dimension in life. And because we have lost perspective, we fail to see that unless one is willing to accept suffering properly, he or she is really refusing to continue in the quest for maturity. To refuse suffering is to refuse personal growth. The Roman church would have to grab hold of the fact that suffering was coming and that suffering produces perseverance and character and hope that leads to hope that would not put us to shame. Because the little division that they had where it was like, well, we're in charge. No, we're in charge. How is this going to work? Would pale in comparison because about seven years from the reading of this letter, what began to happen is uh, the, the church was persecuted. Christians were persecuted under Nero. And he began to run them through with the stake, dip them in wax, and light them on fire to, to light his uh, dinner parties. And the road leading into the city, they became the street lamps. That's the kind of persecution they were going to face. And so it was essential for them to grab hold of the truth that suffering is not the end. Going through hard things is not all that there is. Do not let this situation influence what you know to be true and right about God. But instead know that God is doing something in you and will do something through you and will produce a hope that leads to hope. Because as crazy as this life is, this isn't all there is. And you have hope now, but there's a greater hope coming. There is much to come and there is a day coming when you will not have pain and loss and struggle. It's going away. And so you can have a hope that leads to hope. And so what would it look like for us as people of God today to ask God for this? I dare you to do this. I dare you to do this. What would it look like if you walked out of here today and you asked God to give you, give you an, a real, authentic experience of his love? I mean, a real, life-changing, authentic experience of his love. I'm not talking about information that you could camp out in your head that, that you could use to win some kind of argument. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about a real experience that changes the way that you live your life in such a way where the, the experience changes you and you see that there is hope that will not put you to shame. Because here's what... I have found to be true in my life when I begin to ask God for those kinds of things that he will not let us down. He will never fail because what scripture reveals, and I've seen it play out in the life of Jesus, I've seen it play out in my life and I've watched it in countless others, that there is a hope that leads to hope. That what Paul reveals here when he pulls back the curtain, he says, look, Guys, you have been justified. You have access. Suffering is coming. And it will lead to perseverance that builds character and that stretches you to where you understand that there is hope. And a hope that does not put you to shame. We have Romans 5. All these years later. Written to a church thousands of years ago. God saw fit to make sure it made it through the generations so that we would know and experience him. And this is just the start. All the groundwork has been laid, the foundations established. Now Paul's building 
And we see this little room that he builds over here, this sanctuary on the foundation that is hope in Jesus. Welcome back to Romans, guys. Let's pray. God, how do we even wrap our minds around the depth of what we've just studied? That you invite us in to experience you, to revel, to rejoice in the fact that we have been forgiven, redeemed, restored into life found in you and you alone, Jesus. You are the one who can change us and you have done an incredible job at opening our eyes to that truth. And now may we live in that truth and may we take what we have learned and and rightly apply the gospel to whatever situations we may face because it's a given fact that we're gonna walk out these doors and life is not gonna go up and to the right every day. And we're gonna need you Just like we sang earlier, we need you and we need you now. So would you begin to shape our hearts and minds to reflect that of Christ more and more? And as we experience you in that space, God, would you become more real to us? Let us uh, walk out of here with true, genuine hope revealed to us in Scripture. And that we would look to the day. There's a day coming where the sky will crack open. And the trumpet will sound and you will lead your armies in and you will establish your kingdom. An end to human history will come and there will be no loss. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will just be unending community with with people that have chosen to follow you. And we get to see your face. Like to think of the access right now that I have, uh, that, that is enough. But God, there's coming a day where I will see you face to face. Jesus, I long for that day. Prep my heart and change my mind to live for that day. May I be found faithful. Change us to be the people you want us to be by the power of your spirit. It's not on us, it's for you. May we make your name great in this generation. Amen.